Welcome to the Friday, February 12th, 2021 edition of the Clemson Dubcast. Trevor Lawrence preparing for his pro day later today. Also, Clemson basketball playing a rare Friday night game this evening. Trying to keep a good thing going. We've got a column coming later today on TigerIllustrated.com about this six-day break between games and what it means. Also, Paul Strilo, as usual, with plenty of excellent recruiting intel and insight. Title sponsor of the Dubcast since the very beginning, back in August of 2018, Parm Smith and & Arsenal Law Firm in downtown Greenville. They want you to know that their office remains open and available to serve you during the COVID-19 crisis. They are also offering their clients the ability to meet via telephone or through video conferencing. Whether you have a loved one who has suffered from a car accident, defective product, a neglectful nursing home facility, or medical malpractice issue, Parm Smith & Arsenal Holds Greenville lawyers can provide the protection and guidance you need. Free consultations, 864-990-4581. Or on the web at parhamlaw.com. That's P A R H A M law.com. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to Uptown Realty SC. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services, via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Harris Flooring has been a major part of the facilities enhancements over at Clemson, not just with athletics, but also at the university level. And we are thrilled that they are a part of the Dubcast as a sponsor. Since 1947, the Junkins family and Harris Flooring have provided a unique shopping experience through value in their services, developing the right product solutions and delivering on their promises. To check out some reviews on their work, just go to their Facebook page, Harris Flooring America. Rave reviews, just first class all the way. Phone number 864-642-6183. Okay, to our interview this week, Yusef Kelly. We've had some requests uh, to have him on the podcast. What's it like to spend most of your life sort of defined and known for one moment that happened when you were a college kid. Good stuff here with Yousef, who is, of all things, a police officer near Clemson over in Easley. Here we go. Enjoy. Okay, joined by Yousef Kelly. How you doing, man? Pretty good, man. Long day of work, but feeling good. Good. I hear you. We got we got a lot to catch up on. It's been it's been way too long. I know. <laughs> I'll be living over here in the shadows. <laughs> <laughs> well, only about 15 minutes away in, in Easley. Um, first of all, t- give us an update on what you're doing. You're a police officer and have been for how many years over there? Yes, this I'm about to start my 16th year. And um, I recently moved over from being a sergeant over the SROs to an investigator. Oh, cool. Tell me, uh, like, just general investigations or pretty much everything? Uh, we do it all. Uh, matter of fact, I think about a week into doing be, being a detective, the first night I was on call, I ended up going out for a death. So, I mean, it, it comes fast. So how do you get to um, doing that? Is that something you sort of aspire to and then work your way toward that specifically or is it just something maybe you 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 sort of naturally fall into no it was something i i've always wanted to try um and you know i i kind of put myself out there to be a multifaceted guy to try everything get cross-trained and everything and you know only having about nine and a half years left till i retire this is uh something i wanted to do Nine and a half years. Yep. How old are you right now? Uh, 38. So you're going to retire at 47? 
Yeah, I'll be forty-seven, about to turn forty-eight. That sounds like a pretty good deal. What? What? Uh, look, looking, looking to then. What do you? What do you think you're going to do at that point? Well, I've already said I'm going to take about a year off, and um, I'm going to do a lot more traveling. Um, and then after that, uh, initially I was like, well, you know, I'll go start another job because it's good to work when you want to, not because you have to. Um, but then the idea was told to me, well, why don't you, instead of working for somebody else, why don't you start a business? So um, that's definitely something else that I'm looking into. Well, you got plenty of time to, to lay the, the groundwork for that. Um, you have two children, one who is Elijah. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes, Elijah, yeah. And he's a 2022 receiver? He is. Tell me how. Tell me what it's like to be the father of a uh, of a high school prospect after you were one way back when. It's a little bit different because, of course, you know his mom was all ACC and ACC champion in track and field at Clemson, and then of course I played football at Clemson as well. Um, uh, me nor his mom really had people to guide him you know, to guide us on decision-making and stuff like that when we were being recruited. Um, I've had, like, four cousins playing in the NFL, but one was, you know, six, seven years ahead of me, and the other ones were behind me. So when I was being recruited, I didn't have anybody to to help me, you know, with the understanding of the intricate parts that go into being recruited. So, um, you know, Elijah has both. And I don't know how much he actually listens to either one of us. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's you know, it, it just is a fun, but right now, it's a fun going, it's fun going through the process, but it's kind of, you know, heartbreaking for a lot of these kids, um, given the way recruitment is going during this pandemic. Yeah. G- give me maybe some more insight into that. Uh, maybe elaborate on on. on- on, on why on, on why it's so difficult? Well, one is because, you know, with the class of 2020 and the class of 2021, you know, kids weren't really able to get out and get on campus and get in front of coaches and stuff like that. And kids who maybe were, you know, below the radar, they didn't get a chance to go to these camps to get in front of the coaches to get evaluated and make a name for themselves. And then the fact that they you know, wasn't able to go to colleges, get on campuses and, um, you know, be seen in front of the coaches, let the coaches get to know their personalities and stuff like that. I mean, it is a setback in recruitment because you just don't get that personalized touch to it. Yeah. um, At Clemson, they had their, uh, their early enrollees from the, 2021 class who who arrived i guess a few weeks ago and a number right. of them Dabo had never met in person <laughs> it was right most of the uh or all of their i guess uh, the relationship consisted of uh, virtual communications right right and and i, I mean j- you know all the coaches they're going to now have to really rely on building relationship with the high school coaches too and getting to understand are these players high character people and you know is there anything I have to worry about so can you give us not not to be Mr. Recruiting guy who you know asking you for his uh, list of teams or anything but can you just give us an update on on uh, where he is right now and who he's um I guess, you know, communicating with the most and what the outlook looks like uh, just at this point? Yeah, he um, he has two offers right now from Liberty University and Stetson University, and he has about 30 teams talking to him. Um, I think he has about six out of the eight Ivy League schools um, talking to him as well. So he got a bunch of schools talking to him. It's just, you know, nobody's, you know, really in a position to really – you know, pull the trigger because, of course, he tore his ACL in June of 2019, worked his way back, um, played all football season, and also, um, you know, they're towards the end of basketball season right now. So 
the knee is fine. He's doing fine and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, he, he has a bunch of schools looking at him. So what uh, has he, has he uh, been in, in pretty regular contact? You mentioned Liberty. Has he uh, been communicating with Hugh Freeze uh, very much? Um, not with Hugh Freeze um, directly, but one of the other assistant coaches. Um, so I, I just, you know, a lot of, not only are the players adapting to this, but universities, colleges, you know, everybody's adapting to being to the environment and what is going on right now because nobody thought in a million years that this would happen. And now that something like COVID has happened, you know, you have to adjust how you do things because, you know, with the NCAA restricting everything, making everything a dead period, you know, when you really the time where you would normally talk to a kid, you can't talk to a kid because everything is pushed back. And I just read where um, the oversight, the NCAA oversight committee is recommending that the day period get extended um, through the end of the spring semester. And I'm like, mm. this is, this is just crazy mm-hmm. because it take, for instance, a place like Clemson, if you can manage 19,000 people in a stand, I think you can manage 30 to 40 kids at a time on campus. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, and everything's outside, most of, you know, all that, you know, so it doesn't seem like there's much risk there, obviously. Right. Um, can you imagine the kids in California who didn't even get to play? I know. I mean, it's, I, I've even heard stories of, parents transferring to completely different states and stuff like that just so so they can kids can get an opportunity to play and the ones that are not get, being able to play and maybe still be uh, still under the radar you know kids are going to have to they're going to re uh, classify mm-hmm. so what uh, think, go ahead no i was just gonna say i think you'll see a lot of reclassifications um on the rise so what is it like for you um, you know, you're, you said you were a, a student, uh, a school resource officer for how long? Um, I did it for almost four years. Okay. And you're, you know, you're a public figure being a, a, in the police force. What is it like for you being known as that guy who had the, had the game either, Either had the Gamecock football helmet in his in his hand and threw it in the stands, or that guy who was who was photographed um, kicking the Gamecock player. I mean that that being sort of defined by that. I guess maybe not defined, but that's the recollection many people have when they when they say, "Oh, here's here's Yusef Kelly." You remember the guy who did that, right? Um, it, it helps because um, you know it, initially we didn't think it was a big deal, but then when it was made out to be bigger than it was, of course, that became a black eye. And, um, you know, people joke and laugh about it now, but it helps with the recognition, and it also helped. Um, I mean, that's how people recognize me, you know? But they didn't, they don't, they didn't view it in a negative way. They're just like, oh, you remember the, this the guy that did this, 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 this? And so, um, you know, it, people use that to spark up a conversation or even, to, you know, like I said, just to recognize me, but um, it still helps me connect with the kids when I was at the high school because of the simple fact that I was actually playing there. Mm-hmm. And many people had seen the photo, but they didn't know it was actually me. And so you use it as a, as an example of what not to, uh, you know, of how to well, no, show sportsmanship. I, yeah, I mean, I explained to them exactly what happened. You know, it's you can't get around the fact that um, it didn't that it happened. Like it happened, so I mean, you just you tell them the full story about it, and then you you know you also tell them what how to learn from other people's mistakes. There were so many different sort of things going on <clears throat> leading up to that moment, as I recall. Like you had. Um, you, know, you had you guys had just two weeks before, I believe, had just had this monumental win at Miami, and then the week before had 
had plummeted back to earth by losing to Duke. Um, a, a loss that I probably ended up costing Mike O'Kane his job. And then I, th- I guess it was like a day or two before the South Carolina game was when it, it the news broke that Holtz was out and Spurrier was was coming in. And so, and then on top of all that, there's the uh, the night before the game, the 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 brawl in the NBA game between I guess it was the Pacers and the Pistons. Yes. And then on top of that, the other layer of that is the referees didn't really seem all that interested in keeping control of the game, and so like the perfect storm of all that. What is after that long preamble, I guess, for me, what what is what what is your recollection of all the different layers of, of of the different forces that sort of came together together to create that perfect storm? Right. Um well like you said, it was a combination of the perfect storm and um, you know, it started with neither team having the success that they wanted you know, that year. And then I think it was that Monday before the game, that's when Lou Holtz announced his retirement. And, um, you know, just, you know, I, I can only speak from what I think happened. And I just think, you know, a lot of players felt like, well, he's retired. He can't be here next year if I do anything. And then, um, you know, we get to the game. Uh, they come to the bottom of the hill while we're coming down the hill. And, you know, <laughs> a whole lot of pushing and shoving. You know, they were pushing a lot of their coaches out of the way. Just stupid, silly stuff like that. And um, I think definitely one of the biggest contributing factors is the fact that um, the refs did a bad job of trying to control the game. You know, it, it was all kinds of stuff going on back and forth. And um, even if they threw a flag, they threw offsetting penalties so nobody was punished. Right. And and I think that is, was a major part in just not controlling everything. Because, uh, you know, a lot of those guys, uh, South Carolina players, you know, they stayed up in Clemson after the game. We all went out that night. <laughs> I tell people all the time we only don't like each other during competition because you know a lot of a lot of us guys played against each other in high school or some of us played with each other in high school. Who'd you go out with that night? Oh, I can't remember exactly how many. I mean, who who it was, but I mean, it was at least thirty of them. Because anytime we play Clemson, South Carolina, play. Like the other team always had the option to stay um, up there after the game if they wanted to. Because normally, normally when we play in Columbia, you know, a bunch of us stay down in Columbia and stay with some of the players. Like we, um, we used to always uh, find somebody to stay with in the quads down there after the after that game. <laughs> so while, uh, yeah, it's kind of an age-old thing. Like I remember doing stories from you know, talking to players who played back in the '80s, even where you know they would be in, the, in these heated games. You know, when both teams were in the top ten, um, you know Rodney Williams and, and players like that. But then after the game, they'd go out and and just be like normal college kids. So while Right. While, while it's so serious for the fans and 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 there there's so much hatred uh, in the stands, it seems like it's it's a common thread that the actual participants in the game, even though they're you know competing in a cutthroat way during the game, they're still just college kids ultimately and friends from having right. known each other uh, during during the during high school. Right. I think sometimes. Um, um, players and you know can feed too much off of what the fans have going on instead of you know staying away from that did you uh growing up were you a big fan of clemson or kind of indifferent what was that what was your where were your sort of leanings i I actually grew up a uh, florida state fan um i was a florida state fan until I started getting letters and stuff from Clemson. Clemson was the first school to actually send me a letter my sophomore year in high school. And who was it that that your first contact at Clemson? 
Um, Coach Stockstill. And so then what was the process from that point uh, to when you actually signed with Clemson? Oh, gosh. When Clemson started um, sending me letters and stuff, I mean, I started getting them from uh, South Carolina, Florida State, Tennessee, Ohio State, Michigan State, uh, Michigan. I mean, you name it, I was getting letters from. And um, and so, you know, when I, I burst onto the scene as a sophomore, uh, when I was actually still a DB, and um, I was I was playing receiver and running back, but I was I was starting at DB, and and then I slashed on the scene, and then my junior years where I really made a name for myself, where I rushed for almost two thousand yards and had almost thirty touchdowns, and then um, so I mean I had a whole like I said I had a whole bunch of interest, and um, about three or four games into. My senior year, um, after an unfortunate hit from Greg Jones, who was playing at Battery Creek at the time, you know, I, I suffered a thigh contusion and ended up missing six games my senior year. Uh, some teams kind of backed off a little bit because of the injury, but I still, I mean, I, including like 23 um, academic scholarships, I think I had about 57 scholarship offers. And so, um, you know, Clemson stuck stuck with me the most through the whole situation. But like I said, I still had a ton of schools that were still recruiting me. And ultimately, um, um, I really valued the relationship that I built with um, Coach Stockstill, and I just felt the most comfortable there. How close did you get with Coach Bowden during the during the recruiting process, Tommy Bowden? Um, I, I met him once, um, uh, during the home visit, uh, but my relationship with Coach Stockstill was, was stronger than, you know, any relationship with any other player. I mean, any other coach except for maybe, um, Buddy Pugh when he was still at, uh, South Carolina. So during your career at Clemson, obviously, you know, under Tommy Bowden, there were Definitely some moments, I mean, you know, where it looked like they were about to break through. I mean, you know, you. I guess the obvious example would be 2003 when, when you guys closed the season uh, by getting off the mat and destroying Florida State, Duke, South Carolina, and Tennessee. Looking back, what do you think kept the, that those teams, Bowden's teams in that time period from really – uh, breaking through? I think the changing office coordinators, um, including my the year I redshirted as a sophomore, um, in five seasons, I think we had three office coordinators. So in, four, in the fourth season that I actually played, we had three different office coordinators. And I just think that was, that was a big part of the issue. So it was... I guess Rodriguez left after my after my freshman year, and then it was Brad Scott and then Michael Kane. Uh huh. And so you just think the the lack of continuity, uh, sort of schematically, was, was what was what kept them from being consistently, at least on offense. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, because we had to we had the players to compete with anybody. It's just you know just like with a quarterback, if you keep changing the offensive coordinator and the quarterback got to learn a new system, you know, every year, it, I mean, that's not going to be good for anybody. What, uh, can you refresh me on, on your, your injuries during your career? You said you redshirted your sophomore year. Yes. Was that injury related? No. Um, I played a whole lot my freshman year through, throughout the, like the first, um, four or five games, and then after that, uh, when we got to the tougher part of the schedule, my playing time de- decreased, and you know I was really only playing mop-up duty, and um, I didn't want to spend another year like that, so I wanted to create some more uh, space as far as eligibility goes between the other guys that were there, like Travis Zachary and Bernard Rambert, and um, I asked to be red-shirted my, go- after I didn't play... I think it was 
Central Florida um, my sophomore year. Mm-hmm. So that would have been 01. Yes. So you redshirt that year and then come back in 02. Who else? I guess Rambert's also in the running back room in, in, yeah. in 02. Right. Um, it was it was Bernard. It was Chad Jasmine. It was me, um, Ty Hill, Cal Browning. Oh, so that was before Ty moved to corner. Yes. I forgot all forgot all about that. And Merriweather had not gotten there yet. Right. Who what do you how close were, were you guys and you with, with uh Burton Burns? Oh man, that was our guy. <laughs> I mean, you know, if it was if it was one coach we could absolutely talk to about talk to in regards to anything, it was him. And so Stockstill, I guess you remained close with him, but then after the O two season is when he uh decides he wants to run his own show as a coordinator, leaves for East Carolina. Um do you remember your reaction to that? Um just th- that move? Well, we all we already had heard rumblings about, you know, um one of the rumors was he kind of wanted um, like some sort of uh, lifetime contract or something like that, just something with some security in it. And um, him and, you know, the powers that be couldn't get on the same page about that. And, you know, that I think that kind of soured the relationship. And um, I think that's the biggest reason why he actually left. So then in the spring of 03, uh, after he leaves, uh, Tommy Bowden brings in some young guy from from Alabama uh, to coach the receivers named Dabo Sweeney. Do you remember your first impression of him when he first walked out there on the practice fields and 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 was sort of introducing himself to the to the offense? Yeah, we treated him just like Coach Stock. Because, um, and what I mean by that is before practice actually started. Um, wide receivers, running backs, you know, just anybody used to always go out there and run routes and stuff and just have a good time before practice. And that didn't change when he got there. Uh, But when he did get there, you know, he started becoming the one that they were using to signal in plays and stuff. And to me, that always meant that, you know, that's probably going to be our next office coordinator or something like that because that was like a very important um, duty on the team, you know, whoever called in the signals, you know, that's like, you know, that guy was up next. And that's what I uh, just assumed when uh, they start having Dabble actually do that. You know, stock still leaving uh, might have indirectly been the most important decision in Clemson football history because Dabo was in his second year. He had he had spent yeah he was in his second year in commercial real estate down in Alabama and was doing really well. Was building their forever home there, I guess in the Alabama. I'm sorry, in the Birmingham suburbs. And so, had he been out, had he been out of coaching for a third season, I don't know if he would have been able to been get hired. Even had he been interested, because if you're out of coaching for three years, you're you're pretty much out of sight, out of mind, and kind of forgotten. And so you could make the argument, I guess is what I'm saying, that if Stockstill doesn't leave then, then Dabo never gets back into coaching and therefore never ends up at Clemson and never ends up leading them to what they've been doing over the last however many years. Right. And it's hard to say, you know, I mean, looking at looking back at it now, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. Of course, we could uh, um, attribute that, you know, to Coach Stock leaving. But you can also say, well, if Coach Rodriguez never leaves, and Coach Stock still still leaves, then will, you know, Coach Bowden and Coach Rodriguez get together and say, hey, um, this is the guy we want. You know, do they choose somebody else? So you know, you can kind of play the what if thing. Um, all day, but of course, like I said, hindsight is twenty twenty, and of course, it, it worked out. You know, if, and in fact, if Coach Rodriguez didn't leave, he would probably never have been there. So, going back to the 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 brawl, 
I mean, were y'all at the team hotel that Friday night? Were y'all really watching the, the, the replays of the NBA brawl all night, as, as people said? No. I mean, we watched Sports Center. That's about it. We watched that until we had our um um our team meeting and stuff like that. But no, we did not just sit around, look at them fighting and decide, oh, we're gonna go out and do the same thing. That's idiotic. So all right. So we gotta let let's where were you when 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 it first started sort of coming apart, speaking of the brawl on the field, I guess it was Bobby Williamson who maybe, I don't know, did some after-the-whistle stuff and everything just blew up after that. Take it from well, there. Well, I was standing on the sideline with my hands on my hips. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, no, it, it, it wasn't that Bobby did anything after the whistles. When he made the, um, the tackle on um, – Savelle, I think. Oh, yeah, on Savelle Newton, um, he kind of pushed him in the chest when he was getting up off the ground, and that's when one of their linemen pushed him and, of course, our guys pushed the other guy, and that's how it started. Okay, and then what? I, I mean, for about the next... Six or seven minutes, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying <laughs> all, to. All hell yeah, I'm just trying to recreate your thoughts, like, like second by second, like. Well, what? right from from my perspective, when I saw it happening, you know, nobody went on the field from outside outside line at first, uh, but then we noticed that you know all the Carolina players were rushing onto the field. And then um, most of my guys started running on the field. And I was one of the last people to actually come onto the field. And then, you know, it, it, it was so many people. I mean, so many moving parts. Um, so much stuff running across your face. And, you know, um, I initially was trying to uh, break up a scrap, uh, scrap between two players. And that's how I ended up actually getting drugged into it. Ron West uh, suffered, had to have surgery to repair a hernia, I believe, because he's trying to, he injured himself trying to, trying to separate, trying to separate two guys, maybe. I, now that, I don't remember that part, but, <laughs> you know, he always wore that, um, that shirt that make you sweat. So that, <laughs> that's probably where that came from. <laughs> so, um, so you're going on the field. You're not. It's not like you have you know bad intentions. Like you're going to rough somebody up. You're you're just out there. Um, and then over in the the east end zone, I guess it was Woody Telfort is swinging his helmet around trying to hit right. people. Right. Yeah. He he was swinging his helmet trying to try to hit people, but I didn't even see that at first. Um, all I saw was um. Uh, two other people getting into it. I want to say maybe, oh gosh, I can't remember exactly who it was off the top of my head, but I got in there to try to break it up. And then that's when uh, Woodley Telford grabbed me, grabbed me and lift me up off my feet by my neck. And then what? And from, and from that point, that's when I think it was, um, I think it was Dwayne Coleman that hit him and, um, and that's, I think that's how Dwayne broke his hand. So when um, it was either Dwayne or, uh, oh gosh, Anthony Waters, one of them two hit him while he had me up off my feet. And that's how he fell. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, you know, when he fell on the ground, where I'm from, you know, you don't let somebody that big up off the ground unless you got a clear path to run. And so, you know, <laughs> I started trying to punch him in the back of his head, and that's why he ended up covering his head. And then when I saw the helmet, I went to get up to get the helmet. And honestly, I don't even remember it, thinking to myself, kick him. But, you know, it happened. And then um, I went and got the helmet, and that's when I – was holding it up, going towards the sideline before throwing it up into the same stains. So what is going through your mind as you're walking with the helmet in your hand? And when do you decide and, and what made you decide? I, th- I think it was, I'm just throwing this into the student section. 
I have no idea. <laughs> you know, I mean, the crowd was eating it up. They were loving it. I mean, it was just, you know, having a good time in the moment. Nobody thinking about repercussions. Nobody thinking about, you know, tomorrow they're going to tell us we can't play in a bowl game. Like, nobody was thinking about anything like that because, I mean, it's football. Like, it's just like nobody's out here trying to kill each other. Like, I mean, it's just for the most part, a lot of pushing and shoving going on. And, um, but like I said, you know, when I was holding up the helmet, the crowd was eating it up and I don't know. I just decided to throw it up in the stands. (laughs) It's kind of like a gladiator, ancient gladiator, uh, kind of scene where you just get sort of charged up by the moment. Right. And you know, the crazy thing is like, even though, um, it was my fifth season, you know, I was only 21. Like, I mean, you're not, you're just not thinking like, <laughs> you know, we've all been there. Trust me. <laughs> just not in front of 80,000 fans. Right. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm, Smith & Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced, professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-350. Zero seven. Okay, so the order is restored, the game ends, and then in the locker room after the game, what does Coach Bowden tell you? Like, what's the response? Uh, how do they address what happened on the field? I have no idea. I never made it to the locker room. <laughs> Where'd you go? <laughs> you know, a lot of us, we get, we get stuck on the field from signing autographs and, you know, <laughs> You don't want to be rude to people and just, you know, run by them and keep going and stuff, especially with the kids and stuff. You want to try to sign as many autographs as, as you can. Um, but, you know, they always tell us try to get to the locker room as, you know, as soon as you can. But sometimes, I mean, we just get stuck out there signing autographs. And that particular time, um, a lot of us didn't even get to the locker room. We just stayed out there, you know, <laughs> signed autographs. So... You you did appear at the uh, post game press conference, um, at which uh, you know you were asked about um, the 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 brawl, uh, and I guess by that time, I mean we, we gotta we have to take ourselves back to '04 and remember that this is pre social media, you right. know, so <laughs> it's not like it's not like this is all over Twitter or anything, but right. still. Um, you know, your throwing the helmet, of course, was a story because everybody saw it. So um, the quote from you was, I know that the diehard Clemson fans, they're going to love it. I think I kind of left an impression. They'll have something to remember me by. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wasn't lying. You were right. <laughs> because here we are. Here we are 17 years later. And that's what I'm asking you about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. Like, you know, it, it's just we were kids, you know, you know, I I mean, (laughs) but you know, time, times are different now as far as the mentality of people, people are a lot more mature at an earlier age. You know, a lot of them get guidance and, you know, all that stuff now that we really didn't get back then. Like we were in the moment, we were just kids having fun. How have you ever thought about uh, how different something like that would have been received had it been in 2021 and you were in college and you did that and you were like, I mean, and it goes viral? Oh my gosh. With the camp, the way the cancel culture is now, <laughs> God, I mean, 
you know, I got a lot of racist stuff in my email um, after that stuff happened. But I mean, now, oh my gosh, it would have been like tenfold. Yeah. Okay. So after that, you still don't really know. Uh, you know, I'm talking about after you leave the stadium that day, <clears throat> you still don't know how big it is because the picture of you, um, you know, kicking Telford it has not made the news yet. It has, it, you have right. to, it's the next day. I mean, this seems almost ancient. Right. That, that, that that's how, you know, things went, that you had to wait until the next day to see what the pictures in the paper looked like. So right. can you take, okay, so you go out with, um, you go out that night downtown um, and then you wake up the next morning. When do you first see that picture? Um, I think, I think it was my mom that called me and was like, Hey, did you see the paper? And, um, I can remember I was living in Pendleton at the time and we went to the please you in Pendleton to get, get the paper. And, uh, you know, I shoot at first, I thought it was cool. I was like, look at this. I'm on the front page of the paper. <laughs> and then, uh, we had a team meeting that day and that's when we realized something was happening because, um, you know, uh, Coach Coach Bowden came in with kind of uh, a teary eyed look, and that's when they announced that uh, we weren't going to go uh, play in the bowl. And then, do you think? I mean, do you think that that picture played a role in that? No, nah, I just think. I mean, I'm I'm sure it did, but I just think the optics of that happening the day after the the Pacers and Pistons on um, ball. I, I I think it was just bad timing. And so you said your email box was uh, featured some, some, some hate email. Yeah. Because back then um, you could actually just search for somebody's email on the Clemson website and you can get their email address. And so I just got a whole bunch of nonsense. Like what? And I didn't. Um, telling me to uh, go back to Africa, the N-word, you know, just stupid stuff like that. Wow. What was, were you, were you hurt? Were you angry? What, did you care? No, I didn't care. I mean, I was just like, it's just stupid be, people being stupid. Just like they probably thought we were stupid for what we did, but, you know, I, that's just, it's, it's human nature. That, I mean, People, when they think they're trying to be funny and stuff like that, I mean, they do stupid stuff. Yeah. Did Did Bowden say ever say anything to you? I'm not well around then, like that day, in the immediate aftermath of it. Did he say anything to you directly? No. Uh oh. Any of the other coaches or anybody? No. I mean, because in our mind, I mean, it was it was just a a brawl within the game and. You know, if they thought it was that bad, we wouldn't have finished the game. Right. Did you I mean, want- because we finished the game. I mean, we still went over there and shook hands with um, the players and stuff. Like, nobody nobody involved, players, coaches, thought it was that big of a deal. And did you watch the uh, Mississippi State, was it Tulsa brawl this past December? Yeah, I saw. Yeah, I saw the um, preview of that. Not preview, but I I saw the replay. Now that was crazy. <laughs> yeah, and the other crazy thing is after we had the um, the brawl with South Carolina, LSU got in two brawls after that. They had one with um, no, I'm sorry, Miami. Miami had two brawls after that. They got into a brawl with LSU in the tunnel, and then they also had the the brawl with, um, I think it was AIU, but you saw 10 seconds of that on ESPN, and that was it. Mm-hmm. But ours was the one that, that left the imprint, but they had two of them after we did ours. So the photographer, uh, he was working for Anderson then, the Anderson Independent. Yeah. His name's Ken, Ken Runyard. He's still around. Did you ever meet him? I don't think I, I, I think I talked to him or 
I was, I may have been talking to you before. I think it might have been around the time, or you asked me about it around the time you were doing the book. And um, I think I made the comment to tell him he's welcome for his pay raise. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever awards he got for it. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't think I actually met him, but I, I, I felt like I, I talked to him, or I, I can't remember exactly. So I remember this was probably, I guess, the Wednesday after that. Uh, I mean, you were still in the news, you know, just the obviously the picture, and then your the quote after the game, and I remember thinking, I wonder if. If Yusef here, you know, several days removed from that, you know, after the emotion of it has worn off, if he uh, if he thinks of it any differently, and so you being a a, a departed senior, um, I I was figured, hey, I can maybe try to get in touch with him, and so I think I looked up your number maybe, or got it from somewhere, and and like like you were saying, you lived in Pendleton. I think I even went and maybe knocked on your door. I don't remember. And, and then, <laughs> and then I ended up getting you uh, on the phone, right? Um, and we talked for I don't know ten fifteen minutes. And I think you said something just to the effect of, "Yeah, I don't, I don't regret what I did. I'd do the same thing." And then I, I wrote a story just because it was newsworthy that I had spoken with you, but I had no idea the Posting Courier in Charleston. I think it was Thanksgiving Day. They put that thing on the front of the entire paper, and I think yeah. the headline was Kelly uh, shows no regret, shows no remorse, something like that. Yeah. And then that became another part of the a news cycle, you know. So take me back to that whole uh, sort of sequence. Um, I don't know. I, I just think um, by me saying I didn't regret what had happened I, it, it was just a bad look um, and that when I said that that's that's not what I was intending like, that wasn't my intent to make it seem like I, I wasn't showing any remorse or anything like that but I was just you know thinking I mean it happened it happened it's over like you know move on but you know it, it just people took it the wrong way but I could have said it the wrong way too. What kind of blowback did you get from that? None. None. I mean, I, I was done. You know, um, the the only thing was, of course, um, I think South Carolina said. You know, I think they were the first ones to say they weren't going to play in the bowl game, but. I don't even think they were eligible, so it, it wasn't gonna matter anyway. Uh, and I think they magically suspend six people, and we magically suspended six people for the first game the next season. And they just said that um, had I had I been coming back the following year, I also would have been suspended the first game of the season. I think I read that. The next year, did you, you formally apologize to Terry Don Phillips or Clemson or who? who is that? Is that, is that? I, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> honestly, I have no idea. Have you? Uh, did you ever talk with Woody Woodley Telford after that game? Since like in the years no. since? No. Uh-uh. Or anybody. No, Last I heard, um, unfortunately, he's been, you know, he had a couple of uh, incidents, incidences with the um, uh, police down in Florida. I think he went to, he was arrested a couple of times, but I mean, I, I'm sure he's gotten everything together since, but, you know, that, I mean, it wasn't no communication between us. Um, how about, the rest of your teammates from that game, do, do y'all uh, ever look back to it, revisit it in any way? Or I'm sure. No. You... The, the only the only time um, the only time I talk about it is when I'm <laughs> getting asked about it. Like now, we, does it get old? We don't, uh, oh yeah, I forgot. Um, 
I'm sorry. Uh, my wife walked in. And That's okay. I'll say, got that game at 7 o'clock at center because she's looking at me like, it's time. <laughs> oh, y'all got to run. Well, I can still... You know, talk. I just got to put on my shoes. Okay, I don't want to. Inter- I don't want to interrupt. Uh, interrupt that business. But does it get old to be to be asked about it here? Seventeen no. years later. No, because you know, it's still people out there that you know don't even know about it or didn't even know. Uh, you know, they don't the only thing I hated was like every year that picture of me and Willie Tell get posted and people tag me in it and I have to go and tag myself or um, I just stay off of social media that week and stuff like that because a couple of years ago somebody thought that was recent. They thought that stuff was um, you know something that had just happened recently and that just goes to show you like some people just don't pay attention to anything. Right. What do you, with your kids, what do you, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it's come up with your kids. What, how, what do you remember the first time that they, that they, uh, saw that or you maybe explained it to them? Oh, I never did. We never talked about it. You still haven't? No. Nope. Do they know about it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just, like I say, you know, with us, it's just like, if something that happened, you know, we don't dwell on it. You know, we know we raise our kids well and, you know, to think for themselves, but to ultimately make sure they make good decisions. And, you know, this day and age is not like it was when when I was playing because you got so much social media and stuff going on now, you know, you would think nobody would do anything like that. And then you look at the... Uh, <laughs> The old, you know, Mississippi, the, State. Mississippi yeah. State game, and you go, well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I guess not everybody gets the memo. <laughs> Can you take us back to sort of the evolution of, of uh, post, post-college post and then the decision to pursue law enforcement? Yeah. Um, so just like um, many other people, you know, I did, I did um, the Clemson Pro Day. Um, I had the player, pro player personnel guy from Cleveland tell me he's like he um, he think I'll get drafted, um, but if I don't, they were looking at actually bringing me in as a free agent. So I had Cleveland, Washington, um, Carolina, and Jacksonville um, talking about bringing me in. And, um, but once it got down to it, uh, the only one that actually called me and told me why they wouldn't bring me in was Cleveland. And I mean, the PR from what had just happened was just, I guess, apparently too great for them to overcome. Really? Yeah. So that might have cost you at the next level. Well, the thing about it was, um, I already had. You know, I wasn't having fun with football anyway. It felt more like a a job than the sport that I grew up loving. And, you know, to me, it was like, if, if I get a shot, I get a shot. If not, you know, I'm good either way. So it wasn't really hard for you to transition no. away from football. Right. By that time, I mean, just football wasn't fun. It, it felt like a business that we wouldn't get paid for. It felt like we were just, you know, just going to work. And and it got to the point where most of us were not having fun. And, you know, it kind of like it kind of felt like we were out there because we had to be out there. Kind of a. Uh dispensable kind of commodity, I guess. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, well, let's go to the job. We ain't getting paid for, you know, that, that type deal. Do you think college athletes should be paid? And, and are you, I'm assuming you're in favor of the name, image, and likeness. Um, apparently, you know, athletes are going to now be able to be paid for sponsorships and things like that. 
Yeah, I don't think they should get a salary, but I definitely think they should be able to control their name, likeness, and um, and all that stuff because a lot of people don't know when you're in football camp, you spend there's a whole day dedicated to nothing but um, NCAA stuff, and one of the waivers we have to sign is for them to be able to use our name, image, and likeness. And if you don't or didn't sign that paper, you were ineligible. And a lot of people don't know that. Like, you cannot play if you don't sign away your name, likeness, and and um, images because you wouldn't be able to be on TV if right. your game is televised or on the cover so, of programs, things like that. Right, right. So I, I I don't think they should get a salary, but I definitely think they should be able to use their name, image, and likeness to to earn income because um, a lot of people also don't realize like you can't get a job. So what do you do for extra money and stuff like that, that you might need. So, um, you know, this is a, I know not many, many schools make or operate in the black or make a profit from their stuff. But when you're talking about a multi billion dollar um, industry, you know, you got to give them something, man. And don't tell me, oh, you're getting a free education and stuff like that. But that free education doesn't guarantee you employment. That's what that's another thing they don't understand. Yeah, you can get you can get the education, you can get the degree, but that don't guarantee you employment. And then a lot of people say, Oh, well, you know, you just need to um do better and, and make yourself employable. But how do you do that when you know, for the sake of argument, 365, you're a student athlete who can't work. You're a student athlete who is dedicating all their time and energy to the sport that they dare to play. Like, how do you make your, how do you get real world experience? Let's say name, image, and likeness is permitted when you're back in your high school days and you're being, getting 80 offers or whatever it was. And it came down to two schools. One was offering you $200,000 for like a car dealership sponsorship or something like that. And one was offering you 150000 from a, a car dealership sponsorship or something to that effect. Is that hard? the first one? Pardon? I'm sorry. How much was the first? Two hundred thousand dollars. Let's just say, just okay. uh, and and the other one's offering you one hundred and fifty. Is is that's kind of hard for me to wrap my mind around, like how that is going to work, right? And how um, things are going to be remotely the same right. when you have because you know you could have a, the coaches get a bunch of boosters together and say, okay, we're gonna we need we need two hundred thousand dollars for Yusef Kelly. Keith Kelly at the time, I guess, to come to our school. Is that you think eighteen year olds can can handle that? Probably not, but my solution to that is any money that will be made while um they're a student athlete needs to you you either have to um you either have to uh finish four years of college mm-hmm. or three if you go pro. Or you have to graduate. Like there has to be, there have to be something tied to it that makes them complete everything. So, like I said, you know, three years and you leave to go to the NFL, then you can collect your money. Um, four years or you graduate. So, like a trust, right? That's tied um, to graduation, right? Um, you definitely you can't you can't give them the money while they're there. And or you could give them a stipend from the money. Say, okay, you can you might make fifty thousand dollars, but we're going to give you a piece of that every month, just because you cannot give. You know, I was seventeen when I first started college, and then I turned eighteen. You couldn't give me no fifty thousand dollars <laughs> and tell me to be responsible. I can tell you that right now, and that's the way you got to think with this stuff. Like, you can't get kids that money while they're there. I mean, set them up to be successful for after they leave. Um, put it in the trust and put those stipulations on it. 
But my the other thing is, you if you cap it, now it's no longer capitalism. Like I'm no longer earning my potential. Like if my potential earning was a million dollars, but you only capped it at two hundred thousand, that's not capitalism. You know. Right. You mentioned setting these guys up for success after football. I'm I'm sure you're familiar with how many advances Clemson has made with the Paul Journey and all that, with Jeff Davis, right. and a really impressive um, program they have. I guess my question would be, if you were to put a monetary value on all of that, that 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 these football players are um, have the luxury, I guess of 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 using in terms of internships and things like that, um, a, a, an area of of Clemson's football pr- program that's a hundred percent devoted to stuff away from the field, and and to them as as people, what would the value? I mean, you, I, could you see the argument of that's worth quite a lot of money by itself uh, if you were to uh, assign a, a monetary value to it? Um. Yeah, um, I, I I could see that, but at the same time, it goes back to me saying, um, you know, even though you get your degree, it doesn't guarantee employment. Mm-hmm. But let's say, you know, over the course of my five years that I'm at Clemson, I managed to make, you know, a half a million dollars. Well, if I don't get employment as soon as I'm finished playing at Clemson. I still got $500,000 that I can use however I want to and to supplement, you know, um, my lifestyle or whatever it is until I I gain employment. Yeah. The one example, the one example Uh that I think of usually is like a Taj Boyd who was a major, uh, a, a really prominent college football player and had a lot of value, of course, who just didn't, you know, for whatever reason, couldn't cut it in the NFL. If he, right. if he would have had a, like you said, a four hundred five thousand dollar nest egg to start out with, imagine what he could have done to start a business or or, or, or whatever he wanted, whatever endeavor uh, that, that he chose uh, to, you know, coming out of college. Is that the best argument for paying or players being able to capitalize on their? Name, image, and likeness. Those players who are superstars at the college level who, but don't, don't make it to the NFL. Yeah, I think it's so many, so many examples of that happening. You know, um, but yeah, I mean, that goes to show you, like, you know, Todd is this uh, superstar quarterback who everybody and their mama thinking, you know, he's gonna play in the NFL. And, you know, things don't quite work out the way you expect them to. And, um, but, yeah, you know, if he has, let's say, $500,000 that he had in his bank account when he left Clemson and didn't make it, you know, he's not struggling financially, um, you know, like every other college student is because, you know, regular college students, they're able to get jobs, do internships and 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 all that stuff, so we should be able to as well. What do you make of how far Clemson football has come uh, over the last decade? Is it pretty pretty amazing for somebody you know, you know, like you who was around when they were you know still trying to establish themselves? Right. Um, one of the one of the goals you always want to strive for is not only for yourself, but the people ahead of you is to lead the program in a better place than it was when you were there. And I mean, gosh, I would, (laughs) I would love to, you know, be there playing, playing right now. You know, you definitely want to have a different experience, but Lord have mercy. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you know, how, how could you go wrong? Yeah, what's the biggest difference between the team like on the field that you see on TV every or in the stadium every week versus the team that that took the field when you were playing? Um, 
gosh. Uh, I would definitely say one of the biggest things is offense, um, the type of offense that you're running, the type of defense that you're running, <clears throat> the caliber of players. Um, you know, we thought we had great players, and then you see <laughs> all the guys that are this program lately, and you go, man, them boys are good. So I, I would definitely say your offense and defensive schemes and, and the type of players that you have. A lot of freaks. Yeah. Um, and, and it all goes back to, you know, these guys, they're, they have more individualized training. Um, they're maturing earlier. The weightlifting programs are better, and you get exposed to that earlier. I mean, it's just a lot of stuff has gotten better, you know. Have you been inside the new football facility over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What <laughs> if you if you think back to Jervy, you know y- y'all's football uh, operations? Like, how just crazy is it to to think about the difference between the two? Well, you know, um, I was there when um, they remodeled everything initially. And, um, you know, the guys before us thought we were spoiled with all the <laughs> stuff that we had. And I'm like, listen, if y'all thought we were spoiled, I don't know what you call, <laughs> what, you call what they have now. I mean, what they do for you, they, 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 they redid the locker room in Jervy, I guess, and gave you all a couple of computers or something. Yeah, they put, um, they put uh, PlayStations and Xboxes in there. Um, TVs. Uh, we went away from the the old metal lockers and stuff like that. I mean, it was it was nice. <laughs> it was absolutely nice. No, uh, no nap rooms or slides or or barber shops, though. I guess. No, the, the we had like you know couches and stuff in there, but it wasn't nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Yusef, you and your family have a game to worry about, so I really appreciate you taking so much of your time um, for the for the podcast, and, and thank you for your service as well. And uh, best of luck in the new in the new uh, investigative uh, endeavor that you're taking with the police force. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thank you, and no problem. All right, thanks to Yusef Kelly for joining us, taking time out of a busy time for him. As he and the family hopped in the car to drive over to Seneca for a basketball game last night. Appreciate our very generous sponsors for their support of the podcast. And most of all, thanks to all of you for making this a part of your listening routine. Everybody have a wonderful weekend. Be safe, and we'll be back next week. Cheers.